Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. Newscast, the podcast designed to help you fall asleep. Tonight, we'll read about the basics of bread making from Volume 1 of 1925's Women's Institute Library of Cookery, written by the Women's Institute of Domestic Arts and Sciences. This institute was founded by Mary Brooks Pickin in Scranton, Pennsylvania. An expert on fashion, Pickin also wrote the first dictionary to be published by a woman in the English language. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Take a few deep breaths. The importance of bread as food. Bread is sometimes defined as any form of baked flour, but as the word is commonly understood, it means only those forms of baked flour which contain some leavening substance that produces fermentation The making of bread has come down through the ages from the simplest methods practiced by the most primitive peoples to the more elaborate processes of the present day. In truth, to study the history of bread making would amount to studying the accounts of the progress that has been made by the human race. Still, in order that the production of bread from suitable ingredients may be fully understood, it will be well to note the advancement that has been made. References in the history of the ancient Hebrews show that bread 
made light by means of fermentation, was known thousands of years ago. But it was not until after the accidental discovery of the action of yeast that the making of wholesome and digestible bread became possible. Through this important advance in the making of bread came a demand for better grains and more improved methods of making flour. Indeed, so much attention has been given to these matters that at present, the three important processes related to bread making, the raising of wheat, the milling of flour, and the manufacture of yeast are carefully and scientifically performed. These industries, together with the commercial manufacture of bread, occupy an important place in the business of practically all civilized nations. Ingredients for bread making. Possibly the first essential to a correct knowledge of bread making is familiarity with the ingredients required. These are few in number, being merely flour, liquid, which may be either milk or water, sugar, salt, and yeast. But the nature of these, particularly the flour and the yeast, is such as to demand careful consideration. It will be admitted that the more the housewife knows about bread-making materials and processes, the greater will be her success in this work. Likewise, it is extremely important that this food be made just as wholesome as possible, for next to milk and eggs, bread ranks as a perfect food containing all the elements necessary for the growth of the body. This does not mean, though, that any of these foods used as a sole article of diet would be ideal, but that each one of them is of such composition that it alone would sustain life for a long period of time. Grains used for flour. As has been pointed out elsewhere, numerous grains are raised by man, but only two of them, namely wheat and rye, are used alone for the making of yeast or leavened bread. The other grains, such as corn, rice, and oats, produce a flat, unleavened cake, so they are seldom used for bread making unless they're mixed with white flour. Wheat and rye have been used for bread making for a very long time, and their universal use today is due to the fact that they contain considerable protein in the form of gluten. This is the substance that produces elasticity in the dough mixture, a condition that is absolutely essential in the making of raised bread. In fact, the toughness and elasticity of bread dough are what make it possible for the dough to catch and hold air and gas and thus produce a light, porous loaf. Of these two grains, rye is used less extensively in the United States for the making of bread than wheat, although in some countries, particularly 
the inland countries of continental Europe, considerable use is made of it. Its limited use here is undoubtedly due to the fact that when rye is used alone, it makes a moist, sticky bread, which is considered undesirable by most persons. The reason for this is that, although rye contains a sufficient quantity of gluten, this substance is not of the proper quality to make the elastic dough that produces a light, spongy loaf. Therefore, when rye is used, wheat flour is generally mixed with it. The result is a bread having a good texture, but the dark color and the typical flavor that rye produces. Wheat, the other grain used for bread making, is an annual grass of unknown origin. It is used more extensively for food than any other grain. In fact, it has been estimated that the average quantity consumed by each person is about six bushels a year. And of this amount, by far the greater part is used in the making of bread. Since so much of this grain is used as food, considerable time and effort have been spent in developing those qualities which are most desirable for the purpose to which wheat is put and in perfecting the processes whereby wheat flour of a good quality may be obtained. Wheat consists of numerous varieties, but only two of these are grown and used in the United States, namely spring or hard wheat and winter or soft wheat. Spring or hard wheat is so named because it is sown in the spring of the year and is very tough or firm. Before this variety was known, the wheat used for bread making was not ideal and the efforts that were made to produce a grain that would be suitable for this purpose resulted in this variety. To obtain its particular composition, spring wheat must be grown under suitable climatic and soil conditions. In North America, it grows in the north central part of the United States and along the southern border of Canada. This variety, which is harvested in the late summer, is characterized by a large proportion of gluten and a correspondingly small amount of starch. It is the presence of the gluten that accounts for the hardness of the spring wheat grain and the tough, elastic quality of the dough made from the spring wheat flour. Bread dough, to be right, must have this quality so that the flour made from spring wheat is used almost exclusively for bread. Whereas, for cake and pastry, which should have a tender, unelastic texture, flour made from soft wheat is more satisfactory. Winter, or soft wheat, derives its name from the fact that it is planted in the autumn and is soft in texture. It is of less importance in the making of bread than spring or hard wheat, but it is the kind that has been grown for centuries and from which the varieties of spring wheat have been cultivated. 
It is a softer grain than spring wheat because it contains less gluten and more starch. The flour made from it does not produce so elastic a dough mixture as does that made from the other variety of wheat. Consequently, the finished product, such as bread, rolls, etc., is likely to be more tender and more friable or crumbly. It is for this reason that winter, or soft wheat, is not used extensively for bread, but is employed for pastry flour, or mixed with spring wheat to make what is called a blend flour, which may be used for all purposes. Graham flour. Sometimes the entire grain, including the bran, germ, etc., is ground fine enough merely for baking purposes and is used as flour in this form. Such flour is called gram flour. It contains all the nutriment, mineral matter, and cellulose of the original grain and is therefore considered valuable as food. However, the objection to this kind of flour is that its keeping quality is not so good as that of the kinds from which the germ has been removed, because the fat contained in the germ is liable to become rancid. Whole wheat flour. The best grades of fine white flour make bread of excellent quality, but such bread is not so nutritious as that made from whole wheat flour. In the making of this kind of flour, some of the choicest varieties of wheat are first moistened in order to soften the woody fiber of the bran and are then sifted until the outer husk of the grain is removed. After this treatment, the grains are dried and then pulverized into various grades of so-called whole wheat flour. The name whole wheat flour is misleading because it implies that all of the grain is used, whereas since several of the outer layers of bran and the germ are removed in this production, whole wheat flour is merely flour in which practically all the gluten and the starch are retained. Because this variety is not sifted, as are the white flours, it is not so fine as they are, but it is not so coarse as graham flour, nor is bread made from it so dark in color. Both graham and whole wheat flours produce a more wholesome bread than any of the varieties of white flour because they contain more of the nutritive elements and mineral salts, which are necessary in the diet. The bran that is retained in them is not used by the body as food, but it adds bulk to the diet and assists in carrying on the normal functions of the digestive tract. Quality of flour. Flour is put on the market in various grades and is named according to its quality. The highest grade, or best quality, is called high-grade patent. The next grade, baker's, and the next, second-grade patent. 
the lowest grade or poorest quality is called red dog. This grade is seldom sold for food purposes, but it is used considerably for the making of paste. The quality of flour used in bread making is of very great importance because flour of poor quality will not, of course, make good bread. Every housewife should therefore be familiar with the characteristics of good flour and should buy accordingly. Care of flour. There is considerable economy in buying flour in large quantities, but unless an adequate storing place can be secured, it is advisable to buy only small amounts at a time. Flour absorbs odors very readily, so that when it is not bought in barrels, it should, if possible, be purchased in moisture-proof bags. Then, after it is purchased, it should be kept where it will remain dry and will not be accessible to odors, for unless the storage conditions are favorable, it will soon acquire an offensive odor and become unfit for use. Flour sometimes becomes infested with weevils or beetles whose presence can be detected by little webs. To prevent the entrance of insects and vermin of all kinds, flour should be kept in tightly closed bins after it is taken from the barrels or sacks in which it is purchased. If newly purchased flour is found to be contaminated with such insects, it should be returned to the dealer. Yeast Nature and Action of Yeast How yeast came to be discovered is not definitely known, but its discovery is believed to have been purely accidental. Some mixture of flour and liquid was probably allowed to remain exposed to the air until it fermented, and then, when baked, was found to be light and porous. Whatever the origin of this discovery was, it is certain that yeast was used hundreds of years ago and that its action was not at that time understood. Even at the present time, everything concerning the action of yeast is not known. Still continued study and observation have brought to light enough information to show that yeast is the agency that, under favorable conditions, produces light, spongy bread out of a flour mixture. It has been determined that yeast is a microscopic plant existing everywhere in the air and in dust. Consequently, it is found on all things that are exposed to air or dust. In order that it may grow, this plant requires the three things necessary for the growth of any plant, namely food, moisture, and warmth. Carbohydrate in the form of sugar proves to be an ideal food for yeast, and 70 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit is the temperature at which the most rapid growth occurs. When these conditions exist, 
and a sufficient amount of moisture is provided, yeast grows very rapidly and produces fermentation. The changes that take place when yeast causes fermentation can be detected very readily by observing the fermenting of fruit juice. As every housewife knows, the first indication of a ferment in fruit juice is the appearance of tiny bubbles, which collect on the sides and the bottom of the vessel containing the fruit, and then gradually rise to the top. These bubbles are a form of gas called carbon dioxide, or carbonic acid, gas. If, after they appear, the juice is tasted, it will be found to be slightly alcoholic and to have a somewhat sour or acid taste. The gas, the acid, and the alcohol thus produced are the three results of the action of the ferment. When yeast is used in the making of bread out of wheat flour, the changes just mentioned take place. To understand the action of this plant, it will be necessary to remember that wheat contains a large proportion of starch. This substance, however, cannot be acted on by the yeast plant. It must first be changed into sugar. The yeast that is added to the flour changes some of the starch into sugar and transforms the sugar into alcohol and carbonic acid gas. This gas, which is lighter than the dough, rises, and in its efforts to escape expands the elastic glutinous dough into a mass of bubbles with thin walls until the dough is two or three times its original bulk. The yeast plants, though, must be well distributed throughout the dough. Otherwise, there are likely to be no bubbles in some places and large bubbles with thick walls in others. The gas thus formed is prevented from escaping by the toughness or the elasticity of the gluten, and the spaces that it leaves are what produce a light, porous loaf. When the expansion has gone on long enough, the formation of gas is checked, and the ferment is killed by baking the dough in a hot oven. During the baking, the alcohol is driven off by heat. Some of the starch is browned and forms the crust, and so little acid is produced in the short time in which the yeast is active that it is not noticeable. Commercial Yeast When yeast plants are deprived of water and food, they cease to multiply. However, under these conditions, they may be kept alive so that when water and food are again provided, they will increase in number and carry on their work. Advantage has been taken of these characteristics of yeast, for although at one time the making of yeast was entirely a household process, it has now, like butter, cheese, canned fruit, etc., become a commercial product. The first yeast put on the market was collected from the surface of the contents of brewer's vats, where it floated 
in large quantities. But as this was an impure, unreliable product composed of various kinds of bacteria, it is no longer used for the purpose of making bread. At present, yeast is carefully grown as a pure yeast culture or product. It is marketed in such a way that when proper food, such as soft dough or sponge, and a favorable temperature are provided, the plants will multiply and act on the carbohydrate that they find in the food. In fact, the purpose of the well-known process of setting a sponge is to obtain a large number of yeast plants from a few milk and fat in bread. Milk is sometimes used as a part or as all of the liquid in bread. While it adds nutritive value and is thought by many persons to improve the texture, it is not absolutely essential to successful bread making. Whenever milk is used, it should first be scalded thoroughly, a point that should not be overlooked in connection with the use of milk is that the crust of milk bread browns more readily and has a more uniform color than that of bread in which water is used as liquid. Like milk, fat adds nutritive value to bread, but it is not an essential ingredient. If it is included, care should be taken not to use too much, for an excessive amount will retard the growth of the yeast. Almost any kind of fat, such as butter, lard, or other clear, tasteless fats, or any mixture of these, may be used for this purpose, provided it does not impart an unpleasant flavor to the bread. Bread Making Materials No definite rule can be given for the exact proportion of liquid and flour to be used in bread making because some kinds of flour absorb much more liquid than others. It has been determined, however, that three cupfuls of flour is generally needed for each small loaf of bread. With this known, the quantity of flour can be determined by the amount of bread that is to be made. The quantity of liquid required depends on the quantity and kind of flour selected, but usually there should be about one-third as much liquid as flour. Acquiring Skill in Bread Making The nature and the quality of the ingredients required to make bread, as well as the utensils that are needed for this purpose, being understood. It is next in order to take up the actual work of making bread. Several processes are included in this work, namely making the dough, caring for the rising dough, kneading the dough, shaping the dough into loaves, baking the loaves, and caring for the bread after it is baked. When the finished product is obtained, the loaves are ready to be scored and served.
a knowledge of how to carry out these processes is of the utmost importance. For much of the success achieved in bread making depends on the proper handling of the ingredients. Of course, skill in manipulation is acquired only by constant practice. Each one of the processes mentioned is in the order in which it comes in the actual work of bread making. And while the proper consideration should be given to every one of them, it will be well before entering into them to observe the qualities that characterize good wheat bread. Good wheat bread may be described in various ways, but as has been learned by experience and as is pointed out by United States government authorities, probably the best way in which to think of it, so far as its structure is concerned, is as a mass of tiny bubbles made of flour and water, having very thin walls and fixed in shape by means of heat. The size of the cells and the nature of the bubble walls are points that should not be overlooked. Each loaf should be light in weight, considering its size, should be regular in form, and should have an unbroken golden brown crust. The top crust should be smooth and should have a luster which is usually spoken of as the bloom of the crust. Taken as a whole, the loaf should have a certain sponginess, which is known as its elasticity, and which is evidenced by the way in which the loaf acts when it is pressed slightly out of shape. As soon as the pressure is removed, the loaf should resume its original shape. This test should produce the same results when it is applied to small pieces of the crust and to the cut surface the loaf.